tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. And welcome back to Parallel Lines, the DC Tangent Universe podcast, where I, Sean Engel, and my cohort, Mr. Michael Bradley. Hello, Michael. Hello. Are taking a look at all of the comics in the uh, DC Tangent Universe. And this time out, we're going to be taking a look at a very different comic. One that uh, kind of, I guess, will buck the trend of the sort of dark, moody, uh, gripping feel that we've had with uh, Metal Man, Adam, and Green Lantern. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the Flash comic, which is written by Todd DeZago and drawn by the controversial, at least I guess he's controversial, Gary Frank. Um, I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, uh, What about you? Yes. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, We'll we'll have to see Uh. because, you know, uh, again, this is... uh, when I picked up uh, all these books, I thought, you know, starting out with the reading order you gave me, I thought this was going to be a very dramatic series, a very different series. It was going to have, again, I harken back that sort of Watchmen type feel. Mm-hmm. This one is really kind of out of the ordinary, and I'm interested yeah. to hear what your take on it is. I'm kind of split on it, and we'll get into it more with the actual issue itself, but it's just. It is very different than the other three issues we've looked at so far, and I'm kind of split on whether that's a good thing or not. Yeah, well, uh, uh, I'm certain we'll both have positive and negative things to say about it, but I hope you guys enjoyed our last issue where we covered Green Lantern. That was really fun. Uh, It was a nice... It was a nice change up from, uh, you know, the stuff Green Lantern that I'm covering. You know, uh, it was definitely a different kind of book, but, you know, uh, an enjoyable read. And it's it's what I would definitely expect from James Robinson writing. But uh, this one, I'm looking forward to getting this one as well. So, you know, unfortunately, we don't have any emails uh, because, well, we kind of record these back to back. And we'd like to thank you're breaking the fourth wall, man. Whoops. <laughs> but we'd like to thank we'd like to hope that everyone uh, who's listening to this will write in to us or leave an iTunes review. Uh, of course the uh, email address is Michael. Tangent at greatcrypton.com. See, I'm gonna be like shag all this time and completely forget what all the stuff is and I'll, I'll allow you to uh, fill that in. You can be the uh, Rob Kelly for this, which is probably the more professional person as as, yeah, I'm as okay I'm with shag. That. I'm okay with that. <laughs> One thing, I, and I guess I should have asked you this last episode that we recorded two weeks ago. Um, yes, it, yes, that we did record two weeks ago because we're recording these every two weeks. Right. When <laughs> we um, were originally planning this show, we were only going to cover the two Green Lantern issues and then the Superman and Batman issues. Mm-hmm. How do you think your perspective on the Green Lantern issue would have differed having only read that issue without – having read like the, the the Adam and the Metal Men before it. You know, I think I would have been kind of, I don't want to say confused, but a bit maybe unnerved by it because it uh, I wouldn't know exactly how it fell in because it was so very different than what I expected of Green Lantern. Having the uh, basis of the Adam issue and the Metal Men issue to sort of set up what's going on with Green Lantern, it, it made the story a, a lot more not palatable, but a lot more in- interesting. It gave it a, a nice basis of which to stand upon. Uh, having just, if I would have just read the Green Lantern issue without any, you know, idea of what's going on in the entirety of the universe, it would have been, 
an interesting read, but I think I got more out of it uh, being having it be a part of the, again, tapestry of the Tangent universe. You wouldn't have had the context. Exactly. Right. The context there of the first two issues definitely help uh, fill out or flesh out the storyline that was presented in the Green Lantern comic. So I am, again, in your debt for uh, getting me to actually pick these books up and read them you know uh, again in my comic book in doing these podcasts one of the things i've really enjoyed is getting an opportunity to read comics that i hadn't read before and probably wouldn't have unless someone would have pointed them out to me so again thank you for you know pointing this out and getting me into reading it uh well let's go ahead and get into the flash um like all the tangent books it was cover dated december 1997 and released on october 1st of that year it's two ninety five. Cover price is two ninety five for forty eight pages, and our cover is by Gary Frank and Cam Smith. And the thirty eight page story inside is titled Premiere. And the creator credits are Todd DeZago words, Gary Frank pencils, Cam Smith inks, Chris Eliopoulos letters, Patricia Mulvihill colors, Jameson separations, Frank Barrios assistant, Dana Curtin associate, Eddie Braganza editor. And does it credit Dan Jurgens? Yep, yes. it says based, based on, on concept. concepts by Dan Jurgens. And much like the Metal Man issue from two episodes ago, I think the creator credit list is longer than the synopsis. <laughs> but uh, Beverly Hills today: a group of Nightwing operatives, led by an agent Terrence Kelly, unload their latest weapon, the Hypnobot, built to look like a clothing store mannequin. Upon eye contact, the built-in hypnogyros will instantly put the subject into a deep, impenetrable trance. Unfortunately for Kelly and his minions, Kelly ends up hypnotized by his own weapon and hopscotches into traffic. Elsewhere, Leah Nelson, a.k.a. The Flash, lasers across town. Ten minutes late to meet her best friend, Bentley, for a little dress shopping before that night's premiere of the first-ever Hollow film in which Lisa, or Leah stars and developed the holoscope te- technology. A quick recap of Leah's origin tells us how her father, the aforementioned Terrence Kelly, and mother, Celeste Nelson, were astronauts on the first manned mission to Jupiter. The couple was exposed to strange radiation on the voyage, and when Celeste later wound up pregnant, Leah was born and became an instant celebrity as America's sweetheart, the little girl made of light. So, Leah and Bentley continue their shopping, and Leah ends up saving an admirer-slash-fan who had climbed atop a light pole to catch a glimpse of her. After a quick rescue from Leah and a pooping-your-pants joke from Bentley, always classy, we cut to an interlude in the seedy underbelly deep within the bowels of the Nightwing organization. Marcus Moore, Francis Powell, and a woman who I don't believe has ever given a name discuss how to best handle the inept Kelly and eliminate the threat posed by the Flash. Another flashback sheds more light, no pun intended, on the Flash's origin, as we're told Kelly was placed on the Jupiter mission by Nightwing to sabotage the Soviets from getting there first. When Leah was born, he took the child to the group to be used as a living weapon, but the girl disappeared and was thrust into the national spotlight by her mother. Powell then reveals the organization's latest weapon against the Flash. Todd Rice, codenamed Darkstar, an operative who was surgically altered to be able to absorb all light, and as the villains plot and laugh maniacally, our interlude comes to a close. We then go back to Leah, whose dress shopping is interrupted by Celeste, who basically acts like an obnoxious, overbearing mother until she abruptly leaves for no real reason other than scene transition. Meanwhile, Kelly makes not one but two more attempts to capture Leah, both of which go comedically awry, despite using awesomely named weapons such as the Quantum Magmo Overthruster Containment Unit and the Temporal Displacement Projector. Cut to that night at Leah's movie premiere, when dual attempts to capture Leah are made by Kelly in Nightwing. Again, only to quickly tailspin. Kelly plans to use a giant robot dubbed Metallo, in an attempt to lure Leah into a physical confrontation. But Kelly's incompetence inadvertently causes problems with Nightwing's attack via Darkstar, causing the latter to, and I'm not kidding here, suck himself out of existence. 
while Kelly winds up squished, Wily Coyote-style, beneath Metallo. Undeterred, Powell implements Contingency Plan B, and Leah soon is confronted by her evil twin, anti-negative opposite dark duplicate doppelganger, Reverse Flash. And with that, it's Girl Fighty McFightenstein, which is probably a copyright infringement of Andrew Leyland. Pushing herself past limits she didn't even know she had, Leah is able to defeat her corrupt counterpart and soon confronts Powell, warning him to back off. She then returns to the premiere, just in time to duck out of an interview with the press, much to the disappointment of her mother, then climbs into the limo for the ride home, disappointed that her dad didn't make the premiere, but unworried knowing that her dad can always take care of himself. Wink to the camera. Oh, dear Lord. You know, after three books dealing with nuclear war, military operations, <laughs> chemical attacks, people coming back from the grave, mm. this was a nice way to break up the mood and shed some light, pun intended, on this universe. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I caught on the whole Alicia Silverstone vibe from Clueless in this book. Tense. And I, I was pleased when I read the back matter that that's what they were going for. Uh, I'm not really too familiar with Zago's other writing. Do you know? Uh, you know, I, I I did a little search on um, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics and found out he lot uh, wrote a lot of spectacular and sensational Spider-Man, and mm-hmm. that kind of fits into this way. Yeah, I've never read any of his Marvel stuff, and I know he did some work with the Flash characters, which I've also not read. Um, he wrote some stuff related to Young Justice, which I have read, but I would be hard-pressed to tell you which issues it was without looking it up. Okay. But his, the, the style of humor in this book does fit with what Peter David did in Young Justice. It makes sense. I think uh, I also uh, read that he also did some stuff on Impulse, which is kind of a, okay. a sort of jokey, fun character for right. the DC Universe, so that, that makes sense as well. Uh, the art by Gary Frank, you know, I think this will be the thing that's going to be kind of controversial in this um because i know a lot of people were kind of upset with when he drew the uh, secret origin superman issue with jeff Mm -hmm. johns of making lois lane kind of look like a heroin addict uh and here i think the artwork is uh, it's really it's really good it's very crisp Mm -hmm. it's very clean and i might also attribute that to cam smith helping him ink because i think the artwork here is is really good Uh, there's nothing you know the characters again have that sort of ebullient fun uh freewheeling feel that i think you could get out of a sort of uh alicia silverstone movie and i think that's kind of what they're going for here yeah and i think a lot of the the criticisms of, of Gary Frank's work on Superman largely came from the fact that he drew Superman to look like Christopher Reeve, which combined with the the more angular and kind of sharpness of um, Gary Frank's figure designs made it look really creepy. But I think the difference here is that the the uh, the book is inked by Cam Smith, where his more recent stuff has been inked by, I, I believe it's pronounced Jonathan Seibal. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Seibal really, his inking style kind of accentuates the stuff that people didn't like about the, the angular features and the just the, like the sharp cheekbones and, and noses, where Cam Smith gives it a bit more of a fluid and, and softer edge. And his work on this book reminds me of when Gary Frank was on Supergirl, uh, in the early days of the Peter David run, which I've really not seen anybody complain about the art there. So. Oh yeah, I like I like Frank's art here. There are some things where the characters do have that sort of very thin, uh, sort of sharp, pointy style, especially starting out on page one with the uh, the hypnobot, which is supposed to look like a a, a mannequin, but mm-hmm. it's the characters. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're all such really wonderful, goofy characters. I love, uh, you know, a Terry's uh, minions. We've got a character who's essentially black dynamite. Yes. Then uh, a sort of mole man type character. And then the sort of flunky bald uh, eyeglass wearing scientist character. It's just. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all very different character designs. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just the fact that they're going for a goofy, almost Marx Brothers type comedy feel for this is just it's a very dramatic change. But it's it's kind of a nice change. You know, you don't really get to see sort of comedy done very much in uh, books anymore. Very rarely do you see (laughs) characters kind of fun. Yes, characters having fun, exactly. And it's it's nice to have that every once in a while. And this is just, like I said, it's a goofy romp. And they they play it off as that, especially coming in on page three where Terry walks into <laughs> the middle of the road and gets plowed down by a bus or, a, yes. or by a truck. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, I'll, I'll just come right out and say it, this is my least favorite of the issues we've covered so far. Okay. But that doesn't mean it's a bad book. Um you know, we'll get into the, the nitty gritty details here in a minute, but basically, it comes down to the fact that this book is just so tonally different than the others. That mm-hmm. It doesn't really feel like it fits in. Um, it feels more like a goofy comedy rather than. Um, while the others might have had their lighter moments here and there, this is just out and out slapstick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and clearly, I th- I think that this book isn't written for us. And if you think of this as an ongoing series, I don't think men in their 30s would be the target audience for this book. No, this definitely has a feel uh, for younger readers and yeah. you know it definitely has a feel that that would uh, that would try and draw in more female uh, readers I would think. Definitely. Because uh, you know having the main character be a very ebullient, very outgoing uh, young teen uh, character much like Alicia Silverstone and Clueless, you think that that's the uh, kind of the the genre, or not the genre, but the the people that they're trying to go for in this right. book. I really wanted to do my entire synopsis in the Clueless Valley Girl speak, but <laughs> just Thank didn't you. have the energy. Thank you for for not doing that. I, I'm certain <clears throat> not only myself but our listeners will appreciate that. Uh. The the covers a night again. We've got the very white black background with the flash go go dancing. I guess <laughs> it, it it is. Uh, now you you find out in the book that she is quote unquote made of light, so that I guess that makes the fact that her impractical costume can stay on mm-hmm. because it's one of those impractical co- it's one of those completely impractical costumes that has the entire midriff of her her entire midriff exposed while you know her torso is covered up by this weird thing it's it, it's an interesting cover the uh, giant sun splash or the uh, explosion going behind her is a nice aesthetic design yeah. and I, I like the uh uh, you know, I didn't notice this until I really read this, but the the logo of the Flash does have that sort of rocket ship type feel, with the A being sort of the rocket ship type look. That's kind of a neat oh, yeah, callback really to her, that. a neat callback to her being born in space and all mm-hmm. that. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, you, you talked about the costume. My first reaction was that it was a bit skimpy, but then I, you know, it's really no more revealing than other female comic book characters. So, mm-hmm. well, and we'll get into the book. We'll get to. Uh, her mother and oh. the costume that she has when uh, the American made costume. Yeah. But the, you know, the, the costume is, it's cute and girly and you don't see many superheroes wearing pink and purple. So there's that. Yeah, but. there you go. Well, and uh, like I said before, you know, I think this is a book that's trying to appeal to, to the girls. And I think it, mm. you know, if, you know, I think it would appeal to uh young girls out there you know i'm not an expert on that despite the fact that i'm living with entirely women uh you know i i don't i you know i would i would hope that girls would find this book you know somewhat enjoyable i don't i don't find it objectionable in any no 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 um like Um, i said go ahead 
I was going to say, if we were getting into the page by page, um, mm-hmm. I didn't really put it together until I was doing my notes, but the license plate on the truck on page one is F arse farce, <laughs> which is exactly what this issue is. Yes, it is. There's as serious as the, the previous three stories has been. This is a complete 180 from mm-hmm. the, there is, there is really aside from that little interlude with, uh, the, the Nightwing organization wanting to try and capture the Flash from the beginning, there is nothing in here that is done with any amount of seriousness. No. So um, it does make sense that, yes, this is a farcical tale. Um, jumping ahead to page four, we have a really nice splash. Um, Leah looks good, and there's just there's a lot going on in the background, but it's not so overly de- detailed that you lose focus of the Flash. Yeah, it's not quite as... Uh, there's not as quite as much detail as we saw in the opening pages of the Adam comic, no. which did a lot of setting up of the uh, various different things in this tangent universe. It's it's really uh, nice design artwork. It's uh, the Flash flying through these uh, buildings, I guess, in the sort of New York type city. Well, but it's Beverly uh, Hills. Oh, it's Beverly Hills. Well, yeah. there you go. Well, that's where I want to be. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I, I like that the story is set in Beverly Hills, and you, you get the palm trees and a different look for the buildings and such. I mean, it's a minor point, mm-hmm. but the the art design and the characters. I like the fact that there is a different uh, there's a different look between uh, Leah as the Flash and her girlfriend. How uh, what's her name? Celeste. Bentley. Bentley. Yes. Celeste was the mother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Celeste was the mother. But uh, I like the fact that Frank is able to draw these characters that are distinctly different, and it's not just because of their ethnicities. Uh, it, well, it might not necessarily be their ethnicity. Uh, Bentley might just be one of those uh, girls who likes to tan a lot. Mm. But uh, I, I, I like the design elements of them. Oh yeah. Uh, the book is also narrated by Leah, first person narration. And I think mm-hmm. that's the first time we've seen that in a tangent book. Yeah, and you can uh, – I think it's kind of nice that they follow the narration in uh, the uh, caption boxes that are all sort of shaded pink, which yeah. also kind of gives you the idea that, yes, this is a bright, airy uh, – and uh, Dasako gives a good uh, – he gives a good voice to Leah, giving her sort of that silly Alicia Silverstone, Valley Girl-type feel, but not making it – completely and horribly stereotypical right yeah there's a few words here and there that they throw into the dialogue but it, it it's not just so overbearing that it becomes obnoxious yeah it's not it's not or, frank or dated Zappi's. really although yeah, there is a tory spelling reference at one point mm. well and they also mention. Uh, i'm looking here on page seven they mentioned jenny mccarthy as well so um who is much different today than oh in yes the, in the the, uh, the public eye I guess yes, in what I, she represents but again not going into politics no no Jenny McCarthy um, I do like the Fantastic Four elements kind of of uh, actually before page we get six. before we get into the story, oh, yeah. before we get into that page five yes um, she says she can use her powers to bend light waves and and make them into anything including clothes and then we get to the second panel as she's saying this and my reaction is and. I guess this just shows how much older I am now than when I read this originally. But my reaction was, can't you make a little more of them? <laughs> I mean, I know it's comics, idealized body types, blah, blah, blah. But this outfit with the ultra small booty shorts and the crop top and the high heeled boots, and it just seems a bit much. Well, or you know, not enough, I guess. No, I agree. It is. <sighs> It is very Beverly Hills, very, uh, you know, she she is one of these girls who does have the implausibly perfect body type. So yeah. she would want to show it off as, as much as possible. But, yeah, it is one of those things that if this were my daughter going out in this kind of thing, I would be uh, very appalled. Yeah. But the, the, I, I don't have kids, but it's the it's the it's the prospective father and me coming out and, and thinking that way so yeah no i i, I can completely understand with where you're coming from there it is it is a bit you know it is a bit much but you know these are young freewheeling beverly hills starlets and right. they're gonna dress like whores <laughs> sorry 
<laughs> That's not right. Okay, moving on to page six. <laughs> I, I love the flashback feel and the sort of, you know, even the costumes for the, uh, you know, for Celeste and Terry uh, in the in the spaceship do have a very fantastic four look. They're blue yeah. costumes with the sort of white around them. And I, I love that. Uh, that uh, Celeste has the Sue Storm hair, too. Mm-hmm. She does have the the very definite uh, 60s sort of uh, bob cut. It's it's very, very much Sue Storm. And I love the the panel of them arguing in the fifth panel with her being <laughs> pregnant. That's just, just so humorous. Yeah. And then, and then on the next, the, the seventh panel underneath that, the uh, obvious David Letterman analog with yes. the, uh, the, the, the disturbing porn mustache. That's yeah. That's despite odd. my comments about the overall issue, not fitting the tone of the universe so far, I think her origin does. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense that the space race would have set its sights on, other planets after the moon and then her becoming a child celebrity makes sense given what we saw in the atom and, and, and the way she describes it I, I get a bit of a sense of uh, child pageants I guess you know that she says that mom saw to it that I became an instant celebrity and then we see her on the cover of world's finest and like you said hanging out with David Letterman here so mm-hmm. and throughout all this you know it may be a bit of Frank's artwork but Leah looks kind of stunned throughout all of this. She looks like she doesn't know exactly what's mm-hmm. going on to her, that, that she's just kind of being dragged along for this, that this may not be exactly what she wants to do. This is her mom trying to promote her rather than her actually wanting to go out and do this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I guess my only question is, why did the mom start wearing a costume? Uh, yeah, uh, I guess it's just celebrity so she Possibly. she 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 has this daughter with these amazing powers. She's gonna glom onto the celebrity in any way she can. It's it's kind of that you know. I hate to uh, uh, you you made a good point to the pad the beauty pageant type thing. These child beauty pageants. Right. I can see the sort of toddlers and tiaras type thing, or or even worse, uh, the the honey boo boo type oh. stuff. Uh, you know, I hate to bring that into this. I I want to get away from it as far as I can. But yeah, you can kind of see that the 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 parents glomming on to the stardom of their their children. So that kind of, you know, because their child is this spectacular person, the mom wants to try and promote herself because of that. Yeah. On page eight. But I like that, uh, that Leah is kind of an analog to Green Lantern uh, in the regular DC yeah. universe, that she can manipulate light. And I like her creating her own little sort of giant Barbie doll construct to catch. I swear to God, he looks like Peter Parker falling from this light pole he does but, uh, but uh i thought that was in and of course then again when when she uh changes her clothing in she does another ridiculous <clears throat> dress to uh after yeah. she, you know i i i understand the whole the 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 concept of the sort of boob window that they've had with power girl and eventually you know, you know, Sue Storm and the Fantastic Four, but this one is a belly button it's a heart, window. It's a belly button window with with a heart shape that that has the point, you know, directing right down to yeah. yeah. So uh, not and the I, most. Hmm. Yeah, I I might edit this out, but I don't I don't want to be too graphic about it. But she's got to be very careful how she moves in that dress too, or or certain. Yeah certain parts might become visible yeah it's again you can think that since she's creating these things she can create it where they don't do that kind of stuff but in reality yes if she moves in a certain way there's going to be things showing that she shouldn't be showing different kind of flash yes Page nine, uh, we get this interlude, and this is the closest I think we've gotten to a description of what Nightwing does. Uh, the book says, quote, They traffic in coups and assassination on a daily basis, easily manipulating the politics of the global theater to meet with America's best interests. Mm-hmm. And that almost makes them seem like a – I don't know if altruistic is right, but it altruistic with an American bent. But from everything else we've seen, Nightwing – pretty much has their own goals in mind 
Mm-hmm. It, it, they've never seemed in the previous issues as if they're working specifically for the betterment of the United States right. more than working for the benefit of themselves. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't see them as an altruistic organization, but uh, you know, I guess maybe for this book they're trying to promote that idea. But yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like that's the way they are. So yeah. it's interesting. Um, Moore talks about uh, someone named Gans retrieving the specter, and I really mm-hmm. hope that goes somewhere. Again, and there's uh, there's mention of Project Darkseed, which I'm assuming. Maybe uh, that's a sort of riff on the idea of dark side, which yeah. you know many people have, you know, had the opportunity of mis- mispronouncing as dark seed specifically because of the way it's spelled. You right. don't know exactly how to print, but that's that's interesting there. And the the only other note I had for this page was that it's not clear from the art in the Atom if this is meant to be the same person that was with Moore in that issue. But if you look back at the Metal Men issue where Powell was shot, his injuries are in line with the scarring on his face because he was hit with the... Either he was shot directly in the face or hit with shrapnel on the... uh, I guess it would be the right side of his face. Mm -hmm. And that's where the scarring is. Yep. Um, I don't really have any notes until page 11 where we get the reveal of... You know, do you have anything up until that? Yeah, I had just about the... kind of the the deeper uh, revelations we got about the origin here... I, I like that this version of the origin is formatted the same as when Leah told it herself, but the black background on the page gives it uh, a much more sinister feel. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's definitely not as airy and light. It doesn't have that sort of, you know, uh, being told. And and the uh, caption boxes that when Leah was talking about it, they're in that sort of pink you know, a shaded thing. These are all, the caption boxes are all black, so it gives you a more ominous feel. Yeah. And not to spoil ahead, but this isn't the last time we'll see Nightwing experimenting on children. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. Well, I mean, I'm not looking forward to people experimenting on children, but I'm looking forward to the story that talks about that. Because that would be wrong. You heard it here first, folks. Sean (laughs) likes experimenting on children. Uh, You can, (laughs) after the vacation I had with my daughter... (laughs) <clears throat> uh, there's a possibility <sighs> you can edit that out well you don't have to edit that while it doesn't fit the overall tone of the universe that we've seen to this point and it kind of bugs me on that level just with this book itself it, it makes me laugh that Kelly is seen as so incompetent that they just give him these impossible missions just to keep him busy Hmm. yeah I don't know why a super secret government organization bent on I don't know whether it's the, the sort of shady shadow conspiracy government would have a person in their employ who's just that much of a buffoon, but right. you know maybe he didn't start out that way, or maybe when they uh, brought him into it, they thought he was a, a competent player. But you know, you would think that after all these failures, they'd probably just give up on him. And yeah, but yeah. but looking at this book as as farce or slapstick, it's it's funny and it. it oh yeah. Yeah, and, and like I said, it's a it's a different feel than the other books. And yeah, if this is supposed to be a sort of you know one off sort of slapstick slapstick type book, it it works in in the context of it. Right. Um, my next notes on page eleven the the reveal of Todd Rice, who was in our universe Obsidian, and him being a. Uh, uh, basically a similar character, a, a dark shadow figure who's able to uh, pull light from whatever he can. And that kind of works with Obsidian's character, but I also enjoy the fact that they've uh, labeled him Dark Star, which also relates back to the previous uh, episode that we talked about. Uh, the Dark Stars were kind of what an antagonist to Captain Boomerang's uh Men, That's kind of what I picked up from it, yeah. And I'm so not they, sure why they had to connect the names, but as we talked about last episode, we know that Boomerang has some sort of ties to Nightwing, so maybe we'll learn more about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, page 12, it, I thought it was a really cool effect how the color is literally draining off of them when mm-hmm. Darkstar's powers activate. Oh, yeah. I think that's, I think that's a neat... Uh, neat aspect here with the colors and was it low ridge who did the colors again um 
see. I don't think I would know since I did the synopsis. Uh, no, as Mulva Hill. Hill. Yeah, Mulva Hill. It's it's a it's a good. Uh, uh, this this interlude is definitely different from the rest of the book. It's it's darker shaded. It it gives it a more foreboding feel. And yeah, that uh, one panel where the colors are being drained from that's a nice nice image to kind of uh, set up what uh, obs- not Obsidian but Dark Star can do in this. Right. Book. And the final panel is pretty creepy with mm-hmm. uh, Powell all in shadow except for his eyes and his creepy scarred smile. Yeah, his almost almost rictus half Joker, yeah. sort of two face type look. You know? A little bit, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of neat there. Yeah, it's it's always good when you can do a character in shadow and just have certain elements of them shine through. It gives it a nice a nice sort of creepy feel. Yeah. Um, page thirteen. I'm gonna pull a shag here since you're obviously Rob Kelly and I'm shag and. I'm going to say that, uh, yeah, um, Celeste, Leah's mom, she's hot. Of course, I have no idea. <laughs> this has just got to be a Beverly Hills thing, why she would be walking around in this uniform. I mean, <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. I'll go, I'll go ahead and describe it for those of you who don't have the comic in front of you. It's essentially... A bikini. A, it's a it's a well, it's a, a one piece. It's it's a one piece bikini that's a very Captain America with the uh, the the cups of the uh, the, the uh, for the breast are stars and stripes, the blue and white, and the rest of the bikini is uh, red and white stripes. And she's even got a little uh, sort of red half cape behind her. It's it's completely ridiculous, and she's just walking around the stores of Beverly Hills in it. I mean, again, it's no different than we see other female comic book characters, but it's just so ridiculous that she's just walking around in it. She doesn't have powers. She's just a... <sighs> and I, I, I think that's the thing that makes it so so odd. If, if she were a superhero and she were doing daring deeds and flying around and uh, saving people in this, people wouldn't think twice about it. But she's just walking around shopping in this guy. Right. She's doing normal normal stuff in it, and that's what really makes it kind of out of place. Um, after that, I don't really have any notes. There's the the goofy framing sequence of you know her dad trying to capture her in yeah, various I mean, different ways. It's it's a lot of slapstick, mm-hmm. which is not good fodder for commentary beyond. That was funny, you know. Yeah, and that, that's it. I mean, it's it's humorous. Uh, the the artwork is decent. Uh, you know, the fact that he gets that he's able to survive all these crazy machinations is is amusing. But yeah, there there isn't really much to talk about other than yeah, it's comedic slapstick here. Yeah, um, I did enjoy some of the names of their devices: the Quantum Magmo Overthruster Containment Unit. That's that's right out of Buckaroo Bombs. Probably made by Acme, but that's another <laughs> point. Oh, I would love if there was a little Acme sign on one of these things. <laughs> um, you know, I do find on page nineteen. Oh, and speaking of costume, the the little bald guy. Did you see what he's wearing in this panel or on page fourteen? Let me check this out. And I guess he was wearing it earlier in the ep- issue too, and I didn't really notice. Mm-hmm. He's wearing like picture Superman's costume without the cape. In different colors. <laughs> it and kind of is. He's this short, pudgy, overweight, bald guy with glasses. And he's got he's got essentially the Superman uniform, except instead of being red and blue, it's sort of green and blue with the right. blue trunks. It's <laughs> it's it's re- goddamn ridiculous. <sighs> but yeah, the, the, there's just a bit of comedy beats. I do find it amusing. And I don't know whether it's just that that Leah is clueless or that she just loves her dad that much that she's willing to sort of overlook the fact that he's plotting maniacally to try and capture her. On page 19 where she's asking him if he's going to be at the premiere of the, uh, of the movie tonight and he turns around and says that, of course, I'd, I wouldn't miss it for all of the world. 
and that final panel where she's just got this look on there. My dad's going to be here. Yeah. And he's just connivingly looking at the camera like, ah, ha, ha, I will capture her then. Ah. Yeah. And if you look back at page 17, she's got this real look of, of childlike joy when he shows up. Mm-hmm. Even though he just like blew across the store and crashed into the, the clothing stand there and he's all broken in you know, his clothes is all ripped. He's got his arm broken. His toupee's fallen to the side. Mm-hmm. But she she just sees her dad and not a conniving supervillain. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think, I, sorry, go ahead. No, no I, I was going to say, and I love that. That's that's just a really fun little bit about this story. Yeah, and I, you know, given the last page when she winks to the camera, I think she knows that he's out to quote unquote get her, but she also knows that he's completely inept, and she loves her dad. So, mm-hmm. um, after that, I really don't have that all, all that many notes. Uh, uh, me either. Um, page twenty three. And all the times I've read this, it wasn't until I was doing my notes that I noticed the truck reads Diana Prince Cosmetics. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I just caught that as well. And it, and it is a very. It does have a sort of Greek look to it. The 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 image of uh, uh-huh. whoever this person is. It's got that sort of. Uh, very defined that's kind of neat I didn't notice that either yeah um, but that's really all I had I guess over on page 34 I had kind of a significant note but nothing before then which is unfortunate because I feel like we're skipping a lot of the story but yeah it's it's just basically you know they go to the premiere there's some goofiness that goes on uh, there's some more goofiness that goes on with Dark Star as he absorbs himself into himself or sucks himself out of existence Okay, yeah, that I guess that is a thing, and uh, there's obvious a callback to Metallo, but right. it's not really the Metallo; it's just a giant robot. But it's it's a nice design. It's a very I don't know if you could hearken it back to the sort of um, Fleischer style type robots that we'd see uh, in those uh, in those things. It's a it, but it's got a very it's got a very Silver Age feel mm-hmm. for the robot. Yeah. Um, there's the appearance of the reverse flash. So you had to have, if you're going to have flash, you might as well have a reverse flash in there as well. Yeah. I mean, in concept, there's not much difference between her and the DCU reverse flash or, or any other of the myriad of dark duplicates throughout fiction. But once you've got a flash, I mean, how many other directions can you go with a reverse flash? Exactly. There's, and, and it was probably my favorite part of the issue. Um, because they actually kind of dropped the comedy for a couple pages and, and played it more straight. Mm-hmm. But they they do kind of start it out as you know them having a girl flight, and the the reason that she, that Leah decides to beat up on the Reverse Flash is the fact that you know she ripped her dress. So yeah, which actually not to interrupt you, but that leads into the note I had for that page too. Okay, go ahead. It's this isn't a whistle that I normally blow because there are many others who who do it and and are more passionate about it than me but as the first tangent book that really focused on a female character because the green lantern book wasn't really about the green lantern but it's a shame that this one spends the entire book with her you know talking valley girl speak and fawning over boys and looking for clothes and then has her spurred to action by her dress getting ripped Mm -hmm. it just feels so very cliche yeah, it, it kind of does. It's not really – I guess it's not really advancing the female cause. It is sort of falling into the stereotype of of the valley girl right. over or whatever you would want to call it. But and I, I do, And I'm not saying that every female-led book has to, quote-unquote, advance the female character. Just like I don't think every male-led book has to advance the male character, whatever those terms mean. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. As the only one we've had so far, it would have been nice to get something a little more – yeah, a little more substantive yeah, rather than just yeah. so fluffy. Yeah, but I think I think that's just what they're going for. You know, I think if again, and we've talked about this before, if this were to go to multiple issues, I would think that you would see the Flash develop more as a character. Oh, probably, here we're just right. we're just seeing a, a fluffy one-off. Uh, kind of bubbly story about her going out and shopping and doing amazing things and we're not really getting into her as being a superhero character so I would hope that again if this were to go to a series and they were to do more with this character we would get more 
development of, of her as a female character and it wouldn't just be sort of fluffy throwaway type stuff that that that, sh- that her character as a female superhero would be advanced and it wouldn't just be kind of you know just sort of surface scratching and it wouldn't uh, it, there'd be more depth to her right and there is another flashbook when we get to the second wave so maybe they'll hopefully maybe we'll get hope, something more there hopefully we will uh, I will say on page 34, the next page, despite the fact that the call to action was her dress getting ripped, I think Frank does a good job of facial expressions here, especially with Leah looking really PO'd. Yeah. Yes, despite the fact that the that the reason for her getting this angry was the fact that the reverse flash ripped her dress, the, the, the expression that she's got here is really well done by Frank. Mm-hmm. And Celeste and Bentley are <laughs> quite they, shocked. They know the the stuff's about to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a it's a good fight sequence. It's very it's very short, but you know there's some there's some dynamic action going on through here. Definitely. I really I really don't have any notes until uh, I, until the end. My notes are done. So okay. My my really my last note. And this is kind of a negative thing. The the wink on page thirty eight, it just looks off. It doesn't look like a, a traditional wink. It looks like, I hate to say it, it looks like Leah had a stroke, <laughs> <laughs> and half of her face has gone numb uh, and her eyes closed. You know, because it's you not wink, the most natural expression. Yeah, yeah, it's not the most natural wink. Uh, but you know, it ends with the comedy beat of you know Terrence coming out of the robot and. You know the uh, gaseous effect knocking him out, uh, and again, it's it's a different issue, and I can see how you can be kind of irked with this because we've had these three stories that have been very dramatic and very serious, mm-hmm. and then we get this one that's just completely farcical and com- completely comedical. So it's definitely a difference compared to what we've had, but. I don't mind every once in a while having a bit of a comedic beat. So yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, I was, again, impressed that uh, Gary Frank didn't draw a bunch of uh, heroin addicts. So that's always nice. Right. Yeah, d- just taken on its own, I, w- I was okay with the, the farce and the comedy. But in comparison with the others, it, it kind of threw me off a little bit. But, you know, we'll, we'll see when we get to more books if they – if they do a better, or not a better job necessarily, but if they continue to kind of um, have different tones in them and, and a, a broader look at the universe, or if this is continues to be kind of an oddball, mm. it'll be it'll be interesting to see if this one stands out and you know holds up after we get uh, done with the uh, first series of the uh, tangent books. Yeah, so. I think in two episodes we'll be looking at the Joker, which is a, is a lighter read. So. That might be the closest we get to it, but okay. I'll be I'll be more than uh, I'll be interested to see how that how that one compares. But yeah, so so far um, this is the anomaly uh, in what we've read so far. But it's it's an enjoyable anomaly. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't really have any major issues with it. So, yeah. but next episode we'll be looking at Sea Devils, and this is I think I said in the earliest episode of the show or of the podcast that we I remember nothing about this book but it was uh, written by Kurt Busick so well you can't like uh, Kurt Busick. yeah I don't think you can go wrong with Kurt Busick I think he's a he, he's an incredibly competent writer and I think it'll be interesting nonetheless I haven't read it yet I've got a like I said we record these every two know, weeks uh, every two weeks and <laughs> <laughs> every two weeks on Thursday mm-hmm just right before releasing right. it, and essentially we could just put it out live. I think because you know the the music is playing in the background, yeah. and it's I it's really all like there. The music that played during this episode. Uh huh. That was a great song choice. I, I'm I'm impressed with, with with the song that you put in there that I really enjoyed. Well, the music just plays when we start talking. It's, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. It's incredible. It's it's not like we do any editing or anything at all. <laughs> but that's it for this episode, folks. Be sure to keep writing in. We will be reading. We didn't read any emails this time because we didn't have any to read, but we will read your email or your iTunes reviews if you send them in, so be sure to let us know your thoughts. But that's it for us, so we will talk to you next time. Bye, everyone. 
You've just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Hosted by me, Michael Bradley. And me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, GreatCrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It can also be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review, maybe even a five-star one. All reviews help more people to find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about these books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Well, then you can email us at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your emails on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. Plus, he hosts a blog about the Man of Steel's creators, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, called Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, both of which you can find over at GreekCrypton.com. And Sean hosts a Green Lantern podcast focusing on Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, called Just One of the Guys. He's also a guest host on Walking Dead Wednesdays, a Walking Dead podcast, and Who True Freaks, a Doctor Who podcast. And all of these shows can be found over at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Speaking of two true freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the link at two truefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the two true freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names.